come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my world. Let me lead you into it. Let me take you into the mind of a woman and welcome to Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. I'm your polter guide, Kinsey. I'm your polter guide, Debbie. I'm your polter guide, Donna. And I'm your polter guide, Adrian. And Mac isn't here with us today, but I Said expect... something about burying somebody. I, I, I expect he'll be back by, by dawn. Easily dawn. Easily dawn. Yeah. I don't know, it was weird. He's got a new neighbor that really wanted to show him something. Really? See, I was going for we had buried him. But yours works, Ooh. too. <laughs> we'll just go with it. Yeah, either way. <laughs> Not here. Uh, so, if you haven't figured out by our cryptic clue, <laughs> we have, we watched the 1989 film Pet Cemetery, directed... Which is where... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say it was directed by Mary Lambert. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> but, do we... Well, first, real quick, this movie is about Herman Munster and Tasha Yar joining forces... <laughs> Battle evil dead children. <laughs> badly. Badly. Bad- I think badly is a <laughs> Do not succeed. Okay, well, definitely your buddies at IMDb are going to disagree with you, Deb. They don't know that that was Herman Munster and Tasha Yar. Oh, I'm sure that they do, but I'm just saying they're going to disagree with you on what it is about. After tragedy... Wait, wait, wait. No. No? No. No. Not, not IMDb. This... Is a PSA by the American Feline Practitioners Association on why you should keep your cats indoors. Agreed. Okay, well, definitely IMDb is going to disagree with both of you. I'm sorry, though I do like the message that you're uh, that you, that you feel it's about because <laughs> I so I'm a big advocate of it. But IMDb says after tragedy strikes, a grieving father discovers an ancient burial ground behind his home with the power to raise the dead. Oh, that's not Wait, even. That's Tragedy strikes. Wait, read that again. Okay. First tragedy thing. strikes after that. Ha- after <laughs> he discovers the yes. cemetery. That, that happens in a reverse order. There is a discovery, Amen. and then, and also he also just not a discovery. Like, <laughs> he was shown. Yeah, he couldn't wait to. <laughs> IMDb is wrong for for the missing Mac. IMDb is a den of lies. <laughs> I feel like Mac is with us here in spirit. Indeed. He always, with his brain exposed. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so do we want to go around, did you like it, did you not like it? Uh, Also, we'll be in spoiler territory. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll try to warn you. Yeah. I I very definitely do want to do that. Because I suspect I will be surprising. Okay. Dead. I liked it. Um... I've only, I think I've only seen this movie once. Of course, it was with Kinsey several years ago, probably. I don't remember whether I liked it at that time or not. Uh, I probably thought it was cheesy again, as I as I did many Stephen King movies that I saw <laughs> at that time. Um, but I liked it better this time. Um, and I still feel like there were a couple of things that I, I had mentioned in like a previous Stephen King episode that we did. That some of the things probably translated better in written form probably rather not. than on the. Oh yeah, <laughs> I don't know. There was a couple of things I was like, "Well, that's dumb." But Donna, um, 
For those of you who know how much I enjoy Stephen King, it will probably surprise you to hear that I did not like the book. I read the book one time years ago, and I didn't like it. And I can't remember why I didn't like it, but I disliked it so intensely that I never saw the movie until last night. Was it because of how cemetery was spelled? (laughs) (laughs) Because that has bugged the crap out of me. Um, I honestly don't remember. Um... I did attempt to reread it before before this podcast, and I am about 150 pages from the end. And interestingly enough, from the pacing of the book, at 150 pages from the end of the book, he's burying Gage. Oh, yep. Spoilers. We <laughs> just hit spoilers. Um, and so, yeah, I found that really interesting when I looked at the page count and went, oh, wow. Um but, so yesterday was the first time I watched the movie, and um, I think my first thing, as soon as I saw Denise Crosby's name in the credits, I immediately stopped, and I looked up when this movie was made, and I looked up when Star Trek The Next Generation occurred, and I was like, we lost Tasha Yar for this? Okay, no, listen, she left. For this. I have opinions about I have strong opinions because I fucking loved Tasha Yar. Yes. She was my favorite. I'm with hands you. down. I, I thought she was so cool and she was tough and she was head of security and I was like, fuck yeah Tasha Yar. And then she died stupidly and I was like, spoilers for Star Trek. <laughs> no, I and hated her death. It was it awful. It was awful. And I was like dude, I must have been like this was ni- 1989, so I was, like, fucking six. Yeah. Like, I was six, and I was so angry at her senseless fucking death. She got killed by the oil slick monster. Yes. Right? Okay. Randomly. Yeah. Just, Randomly. Yeah. And I did, and I was so upset, and for, like, most of my life, I could not understand why they did that. Mm-hmm. And then I found out later that she felt like her character was being underutilized, and she wanted out. Yeah. She fucking bailed. Yeah. And I will never forgive her for taking Tasha Yar away yeah, from me. Yeah, same. But but also, she felt like she could have a movie career, and this this was this was the start. This was this was it. And I'm like, yeah, you kidding me? Um, I you know I didn't hate the movie as much as I expected to, but on reread of the book, I'm not hating it as much as I remember hating it either. So, did Dale Midkiff also help you watch this movie? Because he's pretty. I liked him. You know what? He's he's. Pr- in fact, in our chat last night, I asked if Dale Midkiff had a huge shot of Botox to his entire entire face. He is pretty, but it he he acts as if he's afraid if he makes an expression, he will get wrinkles and <laughs> and die. He, so the, the man can grow a mustache. He uh, he just he just <coughs> he doesn't move. <coughs> Go ahead. Sorry, I'm gonna tell you guys a story. I think I first saw this movie when I was 12, because it came out in 1989, which meant that I was seven. Um, I did not see it in the theater. And uh, I guess that I never saw it until it came on HBO, which back in the day, if you'll recall, was like 100 years after it had been in the theaters. (laughs) Um, And we had a cat named Sarah, named after the Starship song. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um... That didn't surprise me, even a little bit. I named her. 
Still not surprised. Yeah, no. My my cat when I was twelve was named after the star. I, we we got her earlier though. I was really into Starship for a while. <laughs> anyway, so um, she had always been an inside cat, but for some reason my stepdad wasn't into cats or something. So they were. She became an inside outside cat. And my bedroom window did not have any have a screen in it, so that was one of her main entry and exit points. I feel so close to you right now. (laughs) So I watched this movie and this is the movie that made my mother stop. Like like she stopped reading Stephen King after this book for a long time. And she's like, this movie turned her off of Stephen King movies because her rules are always leave the kids and the animals alone. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what they go for. So this turned her off of it for a long time. And I remember her being just horrified when we watched this movie. So I'm in bed after watching the movie and it's dark and it's nighttime and I hear the at my window and I'm like, oh, Sarah wants in. She was like a a Siamese cat. So I go and I push my curtains open a little bit and I had a bunk bed so I'm sleeping up at the top bunk and I go to lean over and open my window and the light hits her eyes just right. (laughs) But instead of glowing green, they glowed red. Mm. And then I notice that she's really dirty. Oh, no. <laughs> and I lost my shit completely. I literally started screaming in the middle of the night that Sarah was dead. <laughs> and my mom comes running into the bedroom and she's like, where is she? What happened? And I'm like, she's dead and she wants in. And my mom was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> And uh, spoiler alert, my cat wasn't dead. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to jump in just real quick with a, with a story because we had a cat named Inky who was not supposed to be in the house in the evening, but my window did not have a screen. <laughs> and so my window was her main entry and exit point. And there was one night, it was so cold. It was just a really cold winter night. And um, I, I, I opened up my door, my window, just a little bit to let her in. And when I stuck my hand out... She dropped a baby bunny into it, (gasps) and it wasn't quite dead, and it went, and I just froze. I was just terrified, and I just turned my hand over, deposited the baby bunny on the windowsill, and closed the window. (laughs) And in the morning, there was a large intestine on my windowsill. Oh, no. Um, nice of her to decorate. Yeah. Yeah, um, she was contributing to the family. Oh, I I give her full credit for you know the thoughts that count, um, but I don't want a nearly dead baby bunny in the palm of my hand. That's just not what I want. Well, that's fair. That's Have you really like consider your priorities here, Donna? <laughs> she saw that you were a bad hunter, and she was trying <laughs> to help you out. She's like, look, you know what? You, you give me a warm place to sleep. We're cool. So I'm going to I'm gonna do you a solid. I'm going to bring you this nice tender morsel. Mm-hmm. And it's still alive even. Because, you know, you humans are weird. So do what you got to do. So, I, so the point is, <laughs> the point is that this movie still scares me. And it's probably because of what happened the night after I saw it. But like, man, I, all I have to do is like, think about this movie and I get in that panicky, oh, I need to run inside my house right now before something shows up behind me. <laughs> um, I love the effect. I fucking love this movie. 
effects are good. The effects are good. The acting is really pretty good I for a horror yeah. movie in the yeah. 80s. I'm not saying it's stellar, and I'm not saying it's good by today's standards. I don't know if my little mm-mm was getting picked up by the mic, but mm-mm. <laughs> for a horror movie in the 80s. And also, specifically for a Stephen King movie, mm-hmm. because Stephen King just did not have a lot of good movie adaptations. He did not get adapted well. And so this, I think, was one of the first ones that I, that was that felt scary to me at all, really. I think well, I shining. I think I have. I can answer why on this one works on adapting, but I like this movie. I saw it as a kid, like right after it came out to home video. Um, funny story: my uncle Kevin, who seems to read Stephen King books at just the right time. <laughs> He read this book when my little brother was Gage's age. <gasps> and, <laughs> yeah. And he was like, nope, nope, I'm not going to imagine that's Bo. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> Side note, he also read The Stand right as the AIDS epidemic was hitting. Oh, Whoa. shit. Yeah. So that's why I said he has a history with Stephen King books and just perfect Perfect timing. Time, yeah. yeah. Mm. So, no, I dug this movie. Uh, I still like it. It's one of those that I know I watched with my friend Shannon, one of our Friday nights spending the night together. I know this is one of those because we have, like, a plethora of them. And, no, I just, I dug it. I still, like, it's not perfect, but it's still a lot of fun to me. I think that this might be my Halloween. Like, for for what yeah. Halloween is yeah, to you, yeah. I think this is... Well, you didn't see me. That's why I was like, me. when you said this scares me, I'm like, oh, really? This scares you? It it's like, it. this movie scares the shit out of me. All I, like, just seriously, like, hearing the opening credits, <clears throat> like, freaks me out. All I, like, fucking listening to the Ramones song, which is the silliest goddamn nonsense, <laughs> and I'll get a little bit creeped. Nice. It's oh, I love this movie. No, so what I was gonna say, and I didn't realize this on this watch uh, until this watch. Uh, King wrote the adaptation, the screenplay for this, and really, and I think that's why it works. Like it translates better because he knows what's important. He knows what's important, and I think he fixed things that I know we're gonna talk about that you have issues with the book. Fucking Ellie. Yeah, like to <laughs> me, she's. It's he, better. In it's, the movie. It's, it's not great. Yeah, but it's better. Like, at yeah. least he's not like, get the fuck away, Ellie. Like, at least Oof. he's being a dad to Ellie. Yeah, which he was not really yeah. doing in the book. No, he was He was not a great dad to Ellie. All right. Did I, you like it? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I liked it. Also, can we give another shout out to Mary Lambert? Because you do not often get female directors of horror movies. No, and that's why... And that's one of the reasons when I said our introduction, I purposely mentioned her name because she... um, This was, I think, I want to say, like, her first directorial debut. She'd done a lot of music videos. Like, she had been known, like, working with Madonna. And so to go to horror... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that explains why the movie has such a good, like, uh, audio. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's... I'm going to tell you, to start off, my very favorite thing about this movie. I don't know if I would have noticed this if we hadn't done The Shining so recently. But I loved the direction of Gage after he came back. Because you could just... Here's, I mean, God, that was such a cute little kid. So cute. Yeah. And you could just you could just see him standing there with the director going, Make a mean face. Yeah. Make a mean face. Yes. Luke Good. literally said that to me. He's going, somebody's going back there going, show us your mean face. 
And I mean, it was it was really well done. Where you realize that that kid probably never experienced anything terribly traumatic. Yeah, yeah. In the course of making that, because mm-hmm. you know there was a little hand that came out from under the the bed, and that yeah. clearly wasn't actually that kid. Um, yeah. You know, when he went stumbling away to die, he you know they were like, okay, now fall down, fall down. Yeah, and what he's saying is like, you're a mean daddy. Yeah. yeah. Like they're not having him do anything terrible. Yeah. That's- and I want to play with you. Yeah, well, and I think that's one of the things that I really like about this movie is that I never... So when I was watching Game of Thrones, and there's that scene where the wildlings put the baby out in the snow, mm-hmm. and the baby's crying. And I got really upset. Because not, that baby is crying. Be, yeah, not because I'm like, oh, the wildlings put a baby out in the snow. I'm like... Where the fuck is that kid's parents? Somebody needs to pick that fucking kid up. That kid is crying. Mm -hmm. That kid needs some attention and nobody is paying attention to it. Why are they just filming this? And, like, I was just pissed about the kid. But this movie, and a lot of movies with children, actors in it, I get uncomfortable because I'm like, what's happening with the, I get completely yeah. distracted and pulled out because I'm like, are they okay? Yeah. But I never felt like that in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the direction is so good. They're like, make a mean face. Now go go fall down over here. Mm-hmm. Like he seems fine. Mm-hmm. I'm not concerned about him. Well, and he's and he's one that, and Billy and I were talking about this. He was pretty prevalent in that late that late '80s, early '90s films because he's in this. He's in New Nightmare, which he's fantastic in New Nightmare. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> I was I was like, she's gonna get it. There we go. Uh, Mercury Rising with Bruce Willis, like he's you know. And see, I know him from Full House. Well, and the Billy Mitchell Full House. He's like, oh, he was on Full House. Was he? He was the the. He was like a little brat. The little kid. shithead. The yeah. Michelle's little shithead yeah. friend. Yeah. Oh yes. You know he's in Kindergarten Cop as you know. Yeah. He's just he was in. Is a, he the boys have a penis? Yes, 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 yes. That is him. Awesome. So, That's fantastic. well, because I was gonna, I'm gonna say later on that he's he's got the best acting chops of anyone in this damn movie. Him and Fred Gwynn are the only one really <laughs> acting in this movie, in my opinion. I wonder if uh, Tasha Yar was just upset that this was her movie. This was not a good role for her, in my opinion, because because Rachel is. Not a strong character, and I don't. I don't mean that in the sense of she's not a well-written character. I mean that in the sense of the character is not a strong person. She is not. She is. She is very scared and yeah. very like she does not give herself agency until the end of the and, story. And look, look at Denise Crosby's jawline. She is not capable of playing a frail, weak character. Well, yeah, and I think that you know she left Star Trek because she felt like Tasha Yar was not being utilized properly, mm-hmm. and then to go in and play. Rachel, I think, is probably exactly what she did not want to do. Yeah. Um, no, I think playing the the cop in Red Shoe Diaries where we see her topless is probably not what she wanted to do. God, I wish she'd stayed with Star Trek. Can you imagine if she had? Like, I feel like somebody needed to have the Uhura talk with her. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, okay, I know this isn't a, a, a podcast about Star Trek, but... One, they killed her in the worst possible way. And two, when they brought the actress back, it was by telling us that fucking Tasha Yar had been a sex slave. Yeah. I'm mad. I'm mad. Sorry. No, I'm, I'm mad, mad too. I'm, and, I... and this was, this was, this, this character now is a child of the rape of Tasha Yar. Yeah. No, I am, I am absolutely 100% with you. I told, like, this, she... 
I fucking loved Tasha Yar. She mm-hmm. was so amazing. And then when that hat, like, it, it, it told six-year-old me that it doesn't matter how fucking cool Tasha Yar is. She's fucking dead and it's stupid. Mm-hmm. Here you go. Look at, look at Deanna Troy and her boobs. Yeah, so she needed she needed Gloria Which Steinem. Which is fine. She needed Gloria Steinem yeah. to have the Martin Luther King talk. She did, yeah. And tell her how much we needed that character. Because we, we did. Yeah. yeah. That's proto-Buffy right there. Yeah. Proto-Xena. And she just walked away from it. I'm so angry at you! <laughs> yes, I'm. me too. 50% of us are mad at you. I'm going to assume the other 50% didn't watch the new, the next generation. No, 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 no. <laughs> Debbie's, Debbie's going to throw down now. I've got the 25th anniversary uh, Pez collection of the next generation up there. I know. Actually, I think in I, this closet, I have uh, a bust of Captain Picard. You know, uh-oh, I, uh-oh, De- uh-oh. Debbie, uh-oh. I'm going to tell you right now. He's in there. And this is going to this is gonna anger everybody. I thought that was Star Wars. Because from this <laughs> angle... No, no, listen. From this angle... It looks like uh, Deanna Troy is Leia and Worf is Chewbacca. But now that I've been told it's the 20th anniversary, I'm like, oh, no, that's clearly Deanna and Worf. <laughs> so I stopped watching Next Generation when I was a small kid because she died. Like, I was just like, nope, I'm done. I did not go back to Next Generation until, was it last summer? Yeah. Yeah, last summer because of Debbie and Billy. And so Bill, we rewatched the entire run. So uh, still angry. Still, uh, she was my favorite. I think I came into Next Generation when it was, it may have already been in syndication. And so uh, Worf was already the security dude when I came in. And then like they would play, you know, reruns of the ones with Tasha Yard. So I wasn't as, they didn't play as many reruns with her in it. And I wasn't as connected with her, I guess, because she was underutilized. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so she wasn't wrong. She yeah, was like wrong, looking, yeah. but still that role was important. Right. And looking back, I'm like, well, I, I wish I had seen it earlier. Um, and I think that, yeah, she, it would have been good. I didn't, I was not really impressed with the acting in this movie. I, I've already talked about Dale Midkiff's utterly expressionless face at almost every movie moment. Almost every moment. Um, Denise Crosby, I don't think she was happy about the role she was playing. Uh, Ellie, uh, I'm pretty sure, just graduated from a child actor camp and was was brought into the role. Um, She wasn't... She was really... That character... I mean, you read the book. Mm -hmm. I, I had a lot of problems with her character in the book. I was... I almost stopped because... Um, I read It... And there was that whole description of Beverly being even prettier with the bruise on her face. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck that. And then in this book, really close to the beginning, when they go to see the house and uh, Ellie falls off the swing and she scrapes her knee and she's crying, there's this whole inner monologue of Lewis being like, oh, it's so grating. Fuck. Like, why can't she just calm the fuck down? Oh, my God. She's so obnoxious. And then Gage gets stung by the bee and he's like, oh, my precious sweet boy. Is my boy Okay. And I like, and it was just, I had a really difficult time with that. And I feel like he did better with her in the movie, but not by a lot. Here's, here's the one thing I will, I'm going to give him because later on, he actually is a lot more positive towards Ellie. He talks about how she's, she's really quick. She, she makes some, some connection and he was like, wow, yeah, she is not, she is not dumb. Uh, he is, 
And I think it was an unfortunate choice of the way to begin the story because the story begins with them arriving at the house mm-hmm. after, God, I don't know, a 12-hour car trip and Ellie is cranky and um, he can't find his car. He can't find the keys to the house. And I mean, it's just like it's just like everything is going wrong all at once. And yeah, he is being very negative towards Ellie, who has apparently been crying and whining for the last six hours. Later on, he is not nearly so negative towards her. And... I kind of wish the story had started the way the movie did. Yeah. Where yeah. we didn't see the same degree of negativity being directed at Ellie. I think I would have been even okay with it. Mm-hmm. Like, I have a kid. I get it. Sometimes she's a fucking shithead. Like, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes kids just just really push it to that limit. But mm-hmm. if it hadn't been the quick switch between Ellie fell off the swing, she's a goddamn cunt who can't stop crying, to, oh, my beautiful son got stung by a bee. I hope that he will be all right. Because they that, like, that was, that was yeah. the, the problem, was just that it ha- like these two events happened, bam, bam. Ellie was still crying when Gage got stung. Yeah. And he's just like on for Gage and just fuck Ellie, I yeah. guess. No, I don't disagree. Just, it got better. Yeah. It, it got better. Um, you were talking about acting, I'm sorry. I was talking about acting, um, but I was pretty much done. Um, because the acting's just not good in this movie. I don't know what else to say. Um, even even the, uh, even the mother-in-law and father-in-law who... Uh, um, were I mean the I know that I know the father in law I've seen him in other stuff I know yeah he's a, he's a character actor I can't a, think of I, I'm like you I've seen him in stuff I just don't know who he actually is. Zelda and Vic both acted pretty well which one was Vic the Pascal brain guy oh okay uh, I I, was gonna, I would say my top three in this movie are Zelda Pascal and Judd. Yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't argue. I, I think that Judd probably carries a lot of the movie. Yeah. yeah well, you does. get someone like Fred Gwynn who has that TV pedigree. Yeah, that's gonna. It's know. just so hard to get past Fred Munster with him. Yeah. Well, I when he came on, I mean, I knew he was Herman or Herman, right? Munster. Yeah, yeah, Herman Munster Fred in the Car, Car Fifty Four. Where are you, guy? But. Uh, my first thought was, oh, it's he's kind of like Wilson from Home Improvement. <laughs> I mean, he's got that, I don't know, soothing voice and the kind of, I don't know. When I, when I was a kid, we lived in the country for a while, and we only had two channels. And one of them... I feel you. One, yeah, one yeah. of them had showed the Munsters. And so I watched <clears throat> a fucking lot of the Munsters. And I think that he probably kind of soothed me in this movie yeah. like, like having him there I was like oh he's good well and you hear his voice yeah and it's 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 something that it takes you back to being a kid mm-hmm. and, and oh I like this guy you know mm-hmm. and you automatically are drawn to him I guess would would now be a good time for my little um veterinary corner on indoor versus outdoor cats well sure as long as then I can segue into my my question for you okay spoiler territory oh we're there Wee-oo! Okay, sorry. We are there. Okay, so here's the thing. There's a stat I learned in vet school, and I stand by it, and that is the difference in lifespan between indoor and outdoor cats. An unneutered... Whoops. Professionalism. I know. (laughs) An unneutered male cat who lives all of his life outdoors has a lifespan of about three years. Holy shit. Yes. I did not know it was that. Yes. That's a fucking rat. 
Yes. Yeah. If you've got an indoor neutered cat, they can live well into their late teens. Mine was 19. Mm-hmm. Mine was 19, and my uh, my female cat is now 19. And every time I tell people that, they're like, oh, your cat's really old. What did you do? And I was like, I feed them and I keep them the fuck inside. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> the, the oldest cat I have ever treated was a 24, 24-year-old. 24 wow. And actually, the... Uh, my best, my favorite part of the story was that first they brought in her daughter, who was sick, and her name, by the way, was Daughter. And, <laughs> um, and when I kind of was concerned that what she had was an infectious disease, they were like, well, should we bring in her mother? And I'm kind of looking at them like, your 23-year-old cat has a mother? <laughs> and then they brought in the 24-year-old cat. And, uh, well, Okay. And they were still alive when I left that practice. So, um, so yeah, uh, keep your fucking cats indoors, guys. I mean, uh, and and neuter them. You don't you don't want to live with a tomcat in your house. No. Yeah, my boys. are... There are plenty of cats in the world that need rescuing. You don't need to make more. Yeah. Yeah, my boys are neutered, and that Ash is fifteen, and Brack is thirteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we had um, Cloud who lived to be 19, despite the fact that he did accidentally become an outdoor cat for some time mm. um, and ended up with massive organ failure. And the vet was like, he's going to die at 12. Uh, he didn't die. At Spoiler 12. alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> he lived to be 19. Um, and like I said, Harley Quinn is, is 19 now. She'll be 20 in 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The boys see the front door open. If it's just us going in or out and they look at us like, there are wild creatures out there. I'm going to need you to shut that door. See, we have we have our, our youngest cat, Ghostbuster, and she's two. And one of the things that I have been known to do to cats before is when they get curious about the front door, when the weather's really fucking nasty, I pick them up and I take them outside. And mm-hmm. then I take them back inside. And then they never go to the door again. So I'm like, it's a cold, windy, rainy day. Is this what you want in your life? (laughs) Yeah, no. The boys are like, no, there's creatures out there. And we are, no, we're we're indoor boys. (laughs) So what's your question? Oh. (laughs) Okay, so it's a nonsense question. But Donna, so do all doctors keep Valium at home for personal use? Yeah, no, you, you complete the fifth. <laughs> if you need to. Um, I, what I'm going to say is, no, that's not cool. That's a controlled drug, and it has to be um, locked up, and it has to be recorded, and no, in fact, you can't just dispense it like candy to your own family. Okay, cool. That's kind of what I figured you would say, but it was what more like... What about in 1989? Oh, that's a good... Yeah. I, I do... I mean, we've always been pretty uptight about controlled drugs. Now, here's what I have to assume to make any of that make sense, is that she already has a prescription for Valium. Well, we did meet her parents, so, I mean... And so he was giving her one of the Valium that had already been prescribed for her. I'll accept that. I bet she did, because she's got some clear PTSD (laughs) symptoms. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Because I don't want to... Yeah, I just... I didn't want to think my good, good buddy, Dale Midkiff, would be irresponsible, even by 80s standard. Yeah. With, with drugs. And so, thank you. That's all I had. Okay. I got a, a medical question about Zelda. Oh, yeah. Yes. Were they saying that spinal meningitis caused her to have, to be 
disfigured, I guess, because I didn't think here's, that's how it worked. Here's the thing. I'm, I am not a human doctor, so... Um, don't save up your human questions for you. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm making that more as a disclaimer, but it is my understanding that spinal meningitis is fast. That if you get spinal meningitis, you could die as quickly as 24 hours later. Oh, dang. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I, in fact, I actually did some research last night trying to figure out what she actually had. Because from, from reading the book, at least, it sounds like it was months of her being sick and going downhill and slowly going mad. And, um, but it's my understanding. And Hey, if we've got any, any physicians who are listening to this, I would love the answer to this question. Uh, but it's my understanding that one spinal meningitis is treatable by antibiotics, unless it's viral, then of course it's not. Uh, but bacterial meningitis is treatable by antibiotics and, uh, it's pretty quick. I mean, it's bad, but it's quick. So I'm very confused about what Zelda was supposed to have. Yeah, yeah, because that's what I was like. Well, she must have had something else and contracted spinal meningitis mm-hmm. somehow. Yeah. Um, she had a weakened immune system, maybe, and then for I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just going to say that what was described as being wrong with Zelda is not consistent with my understanding of spinal meningitis. And, and that's some doctor speak for you right there. Unless they, that's what they told Rachel. Oh, yeah, it's spinal meningitis and it was something else. That would make sense. Because, I mean, they were shady, her folks were. And I'm sorry for my McElroy callback right there. (laughs) Are you, though? No. No, No, she's not. (laughs) Because we love them. Not even a little bit. Uh, Yeah, so that's my my cat rant. No, it's a good, it's, I'm, I, I fully endorse your cat rant. So, right after they moved in... There was a cut to um, Victor's Victor Pascal's brain. Yes. With zero warning, there yeah. was there was not even a remote chance for you to go. Oh God, I don't want to see that. Yeah. It was just like I just screamed. I was like, Ah! Like, Luke was there's like, his brain. I feel like that was very much on purpose um, because one of the things that they do very well in the book is cover how fucking traumatic that was for Lewis. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which I don't think they do quite as much in the movie. No. Uh, but in the book, it's like his first fucking day. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, don't worry, man. It's going to be slow. You'll be fine. And then they just like, like, Pascal gets brought in on a blanket by his friends with his brains leaking out. And Lewis is like looking at the blood on the floor and like, why the fuck did they bring him here? He's so dead. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it's, and it's just a fucking horrifying scene. So I feel like in the movie, they really wanted to find a way to traumatize the viewer. Yeah. Well, and you're right. They didn't do it justice in in the movie. And again, speaking speaking as a doctor, when that moment comes when you're like, I can't do anything. This story involves a dead puppy. So mm. I'm giving you warning for anyone who wants to skip 90 seconds ahead. But... Uh, like Debbie? I, like Debbie. <laughs> like Debbie. Uh, but yeah, this this uh, this woman brought in her puppy that she had, she had come home and just found it in respiratory distress. And by the time she got it to me, it was it was dead. Um, and she was just screaming and crying. She was nearly, um, you know, she was just, she was freaked out. And uh, I, I sat there and I performed CPR on a corpse because she needed to see me try. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it's it's super hard. I mean, it's really hard when, when you're like, I there is nothing. There is nothing I can do for this, and it's my job to fix this, and I can't, and you're counting on me. 
And I can't. That, I mean, it's hard. And I do not feel like the movie got that that angry helplessness across. Yeah, I think you did do your job. Thank you. You did what you could. Thank you. I'm going to real quick suggest an article that I was skimming about Zelda. Uh, it is called The Fear of Disability and Stephen King's Pet Cemetery by Kristen Lopez. Mm-hmm. And it talks about uh, a lot of, like, the the woman who writes it had, uh, has a brittle bone thing. I'm sorry, I'm not describing it well. But she talks about what Zelda meant to her Mm -hmm. as as a disabled person. And uh, it's on Sci-Fi Wire. So you guys should read that article. As somebody who's never dealt with that level of of caregiving, I, I feel like... King was was pretty responsible about it. I think he was too. The article basically like seems to mm-hmm. say that as well. That I mean, there there was sympathy expressed for Zelda. There was sympathy expressed for uh, Rachel. Not a lot of sympathy expressed for the parents because not a lot because they, they were fucked up. They fucked up. Yeah, yeah, they were leaving Rachel in charge of Zelda, and that is that is yeah. fucked. Yeah. What um, did they say? Uh, Rachel was eight. Yeah. Is that right? That she was eight. Yeah. yeah. Which is too young to be, which is too young to be left on her own. Period, in my opinion, much less to be left alone with the care of a very sick sister. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, something that bothered me while I was watching the show, but maybe makes sense after we've discussed the the trauma of Pax Cow, um, was that later when. Lewis was looking at his file. He freaking trashed it. And I was like, he just trashed his file. Yeah, no, you, you don't do that. You don't trash your file. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what he, about in 1989, Tom? Right, yeah. I, I and I was like, not. maybe he was just like, you know, it was traumatic. He doesn't want to see it again. He did a bad thing, you mm-hmm. know, bad judgment. And then he went home and slept in his dirty scrubs from the hospital. I think um, those were pajama scrubs. <laughs> no, it's, it's funny you say that because that stuck out to me. Back before I went to vet school, I would use scrubs as pajamas. After I reached a point where I worked in scrubs, then scrubs no longer felt like pajamas to me. And, and I don't know if that's true of everyone in the medical profession, but it really struck me as odd that he was sleeping in scrubs. Hmm. So I have two random... Uh, maybe trivia facts about well one of them isn't a one of them is a trivia fact when they're bringing Pascal in there's a picture of Cujo on the bulletin board mm-hmm. is there yes cool uh, the other bit which has to do with the scrubs now this is coming from the den of lies so take it with a grain of salt but originally in that scene when Lewis sees Pascal for the first time Mr. Dell Midkiff is in jockey briefs and the director felt that it was a little bit too distracting from the seriousness of the scene, so that's why he's in scripts. It's interesting you mention that, though, uh, because the way um, Victor... And I, I think of him as Victor. I know they called him Pascal in the movie, but he's, he's Vic to me. Um, Vic was described as wearing nothing but red jogger shorts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I really wish they had done that in the movie, because to me, that was kind of a jarring... I mean, a good-looking guy wearing nothing but red jogger sh- jogging shorts, that's kind of hot. That is kind of hot. Especially 80s jogger shorts. Oh, yeah, those short little I'm sorry, snug. I'm thinking of Juno right now. <laughs> <laughs> that works, too. Yes. Um, which, which, was a, which 
to, in my mind, was a really interesting juxtaposition over something that should be sexy over something that's so horrible, including when the ghost shows up. Would you think less of me if I told you that I had a crush on Pascal? That's fine. Okay. No, I don't think less of you. Okay. Um, <laughs> actually, that surprises me not even a little. <laughs> After a moment thought. Um, but yeah, when then then when, when Pascal came back... And I'm I'm imagining this sexy guy with his brain falling out in hot little jogger shorts, and it was it was it was kind of one of those jarring mm-hmm. things that I, I liked. I liked that juxtaposition. There's a word that I'm trying to find that I'm just not getting there. Cognitive dissonance. We'll we'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> that that I liked and was absent in the 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 Pascal in the in the movie because he was wearing you know baggy a baggy hoodie mm-hmm. and and droopy socks and his his shorts were cut off sweatpants, um, so it just it just gave a diff- very different feel from what I had in my head, which is which is fine. I liked I liked this Pascal. It was just a very different thing from what I had in mind. Yeah, agreed. This is going to be a little morbid, but... I just said I had a crush on a guy whose brain was falling out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is involving um, Gage, but there would have been nothing left. Thank you. Mm. They talk about that in the book. Tell me about it. I haven't read the book. Um, In the book, uh, there's a big focus on Gage's shoe, which comes off, Mm -hmm. and... There, whenever Lewis is taking Gage's body out of the coffin, coffin. and back to the cemetery, mm-hmm. it talks a lot about how careful he has to be uh, because everything in there is so soft. Yeah. Okay. That's that is a horrible visual. Ugh. Yeah, but um, more effective. Yeah. Well, and I, I believe, if I recall correctly, it's been a couple of months since I read the book, but mm-hmm. I believe that they had a closed casket ha- casket funeral and a fight with um, Rachel's parents led to the coffin getting knocked over and gay and no, almost opening. Mm-hmm. It was actually. I, the movie does a real good job because they do show the fight, the casket falls, and it just pops open real fast. Yeah. You just see his that's, hand. That, that's exactly what happens. The yeah. description of that in the book, I was I just smiled when I saw it in the movie because the description of that in the book is the, the coffin kind of opens and closes again and Lewis sees a flash of something pink that he assumes is a hand. Mm-hmm. And when they did it in the movie, mm-hmm. I mean, that's exactly it. Yeah. The coffin hit, it popped open, you saw the hand kind of move and then the yeah. coffin closed. And I was like, that is the most perfect adaptation of a moment I have ever seen. Yeah. Ever. It was it was perfect. Yeah. But so in the book, they do cover the fact okay. that, that Gage is just mush right. inside. And honestly, like, when that happened, I, like... Tears welled up in my eyes. Oh, and incidentally, I... in the book, Lewis threw the first punch. Yeah. And I'm kind of, I kind of just want to ask somebody why, why the change? Was that just, was that just make Lewis way too unsympathetic for Lewis to throw the first punch? You know, in the book, I didn't feel like it at all. In the book, I was like, God, how could anybody be angry at Lewis for that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the... I, I can, you know, people with the grieving thing, I can see, I can see that whole thing happening. Mm-hmm. But if father-in-law who already has ostracized Lewis from mm-hmm. the family or whatever, comes up and says something shitty like that, absolutely Lewis would be the one to react with, 
mm-hmm. a punch. And they, they didn't draw it out as much as I wish they had. I keep clapping my hands. I'm sorry if that's getting picked up. They didn't draw it out the way they did in the book, but but uh, Ira, his name's Ira? Mm-hmm. Ira came up to Lewis and basically said, I told Rachel that this is because she married you, that this is your fault because she married you. And Lewis just stands there for a minute going, you said that to her? You said that to her? You said that to her. And then then he punches her. Um, him. Then he punches him. <laughs> I was like, that's a whole other... That's, that's a whole different that's movie. That's a different movie. <laughs> yeah. Then he punches him. And, uh, but yeah, it was just an interesting choice to, to make Lewis not throw the first punch in the movie. And I kind of am really curious why. Me too. Well, and I like with the book, and you both can... Correct me if I'm wrong. There's a lot of buildup with that animosity between the two. Mm-hmm. Where Lewis is remembering things like, oh, when we were dating, even though I was going to med school, I wasn't good enough for him. There, there's a lot of, you get a lot of history between the two men. Like, I want to say it feels pretty quickly and pretty naturally. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know their relationship pretty well. It took me, let's see, I saw this maybe when I was 12. And my mom had a whole shelf full of Stephen King books, and Pet Cemetery was on there. And I tried to read it then, and I couldn't do it. I, I just fucking could not do it. It was it was too much. And then I tried to read it, like, I, I have tried to read it every few years, and I finally fucking succeeded this year. I finally read Pet Cemetery. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, man, the emotional beats in it are fucking brutal. Like mm-hmm. the stuff with the with the father in law is so well done. Like this might be cocaine Stephen King, just like it was. But this is like these like this the emotional impact of this book is fucking strong in mm-hmm. my opinion, and just the inevitability of everything that feels like is happening. Like one of the things I really like about this movie, I think I've gone off topic. And I'm no, 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 that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the things I really like about this this story is that a lot of times when you're watching a horror movie, you're like, "Why the fuck are you doing that? That's mm-hmm. fucking stupid." And when I when I watch this or when I read this, I'm like, "This is the worst possible thing you could do," and this is exactly what I would fucking do. See. And this comes from reading the book at the same time as I'm watching the movie. Uh, when Church comes back in the book, Church is different, but he's not... Wrong. Like, he, he's wrong, but he's not bad. Yeah, yeah. exactly. He's he's not scratching anybody in the face. He's uh, he, he brings back more dead things than he used to. Um, he has... And his eyes are weird, and he smells bad. And, and he, he's kind of clumsy, but he's not... He's not threatening anybody. He's not scary. He's just wrong. Yeah. Um, and with with this movie, Church comes back, and I mean, your introduction to New Church is him growling and screaming and then scratching Lewis. Mm-hmm. Um, in the face. In the yeah. face. I have, I have had many, like, I love cats. I have mm-hmm. always had a pet cat. I have literally never been scratched in the face by a cat. And the uh, you know, and then Judd explains that they don't come back bad. In in the book, he explains very good. There's there's one case of a bull that came back bad, and for the most part, they're just a little different, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but, he even talks about his dog. Yeah. Who came back and was not bad, just weird. 
Yes. So, Lewis in the book, it followed for me that mm-hmm. he would do that with Gage. It, it made perfect sense. Lewis in the movie, I'm like, you saw what Church yeah. came back as. Why would you do that to your kid? And follow up, why would you do that to your wife? Well, in the book, I think they do a really good job of it because he even wrestles with the decision. You get to be a part of his inner monologue yeah. in the book where he's like, should I do this? And then like the basic thing he comes up with is, if I do this, he'll be broken like church is broken. But isn't it better to have a disabled child than no child at all? See, sometimes dead is better. <laughs> but but in, in the yeah right in the in the book, I think they did a really really good mm-hmm. job with that. In the movie, I can still see where he's coming from. Uh-huh. Like, could you deal with your kid being a shithead, like like a psychotic? I mean, Gage is small. He's four. I have a four year old. Now, I also can tell you that... He's two. 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 Just kidding. He's in diapers. My, my kid gave me a bloody nose when she was two. Not on purpose. Yeah. She just... It was, she was like having a, a tantrum. Like a black eye from a two-year-old. Yeah. I mean, they just flail. Yeah. They don't have control of their bodies. They don't know how to do that. They, they don't know how to drive their skin suits. <laughs> um... But yeah, I mean, I think that that even in the movie, I feel like it makes some sense because yeah. you've got you know you've got the kid and you put all of this stuff into the kid and and then it's just gone and you have a chance to to maybe bring them back and maybe they won't be the same, maybe it won't be right, mm-hmm. but you can teach them. Yeah, better. I just don't underestimate grief. Yeah, yeah. That's, oh, that's and that's my whole thing is grief. Is that I think this book and this movie really really captures just where your head's at during the whole process. That's why I couldn't read it. I would get to Gage and I would just like, like that would just trip the, the, the depression center in my brain to go into like that. That's part's already pretty active in me anyway, (laughs) but this book would just throw it into overdrive. You know, it just occurred to me that there's actually a little bit of a toxic masculinity thing going on in here because there's a point where Lewis gets chewed out for not taking care of his wife and his daughter. He's mm-hmm. like, your wife and your daughter need you. And I'm like, okay, but Lewis is grieving too. You're not wrong. Yeah. He's not there for his wife and his daughter. But he's grieving too. Who's there for him? Yeah. Who's there for Lewis? Okay, somebody needs to take care of all of them. Yeah. Yeah, they all need to. Because it is not fair to expect Lewis to just pack all that away and take care of his wife and daughter. Well, and you have to think of the guilt Lewis is living with by that trip, by being just that split second too slow Mm -hmm. to catch Gage. Well, and also because, like, it's not just that trip, though. He picked the house. Mm Mm-hmm. He he is the one that chose the house. It was they moved for his job. Everything that happened was because of mm-hmm. him. Like he he made this all possible. And in the movie, they made the choice of having the death occur in the kite fly, flying scene. And Lewis was the one that was with Gage when he was flying the kite, and then stopped paying attention to Gage mm-hmm. when they were flying the kite. Yeah, Rupe quick that kind of segues into a question i had about judd later in the movie 
saying I was the one responsible for the murder of your child or for your child. That, and I was like, what? That gets us into some big stuff. I think like, I think we definitely need to let's let's talk about Judd because I I in the past have not had problems with Judd. I had a lot of problems with Judd this during the show. Judd threw me off a little bit because, like, when he when he told Ellie, do you know what a cemetery really is? It's a place where the dead speak. And then she was scared. And he was like, oh, I don't mean to scare you. Well, why would you say that to a child? <laughs> That's a pretty fucking thing, scary thing to say. And then later, when he and a mob murdered some people. <laughs> yeah. I and did. then I was like, what is up oh, with yeah. Judd? I didn't like, like that scene. But then he was like... Um, yeah, then he was like, I feel responsible because I told you about the power of the place. And I'm like, that actually did not play into this at all. Like, here's, in, here's the thing. In the book. This okay. is, is going to go into what we talk about when we get to our poll. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what he's referring to is he's of the opinion that there's some um, malevolent force coming out of the pet cemetery. Oh, I think that's something that they did not translate very well okay. into the movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I feel like this happens a lot. Not a lot. There, there's some movies that I watch and I'm like, I'm sure glad I read that book because otherwise I have no fucking idea yeah. what was happening. Yeah. Uh, I felt this a lot with the Ender's Game. Mm-hmm. Where I was like, oh, this was like highlights from the book. <laughs> the cliff notes. <laughs> um, but uh, that's that's something that didn't carry over okay. very much at all. Gotcha. Um, and I think that I will probably have to hold my words on that until we get to our poll question later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will just, my thing, and it and it's not poll, I mean, I'll probably bring it up a little bit in the poll, but my thing is that it's just fucking irresponsible. Like, he knew exactly what he was doing, and it just drives me crazy with Jeff. Yeah, that's, that's my right. issue with Jeff. Yeah. He, what, when? No, no, just... My issue with Judd this time around is just how highly irresponsible he is. Like, he knows what he is doing. And he does it anyway. And he does it anyway. That's my problem. He knows what's going to happen. Which comes uh, back to our... To right. Our that's why I'm talk. like, I'm just... And I will stop there. <laughs> just... I, I do want to... We, we should we should look at wrap up. One little parenthetical comment uh, near the end when Lewis is going to resolve this whole problem. And he throws... Uh, church the stake and then grabs him as somebody who has wrangled a lot of cats that guy is so tore up he is so (laughs) tore up right now Uh, there is no way he escaped from that really poor grab without a uh, without at least one bite and multiple scratches that was a very poor example of cat wrangling well there you go it was an undead cat so which makes it worse yeah so maybe that's where the, the wrangle comes. I don't know. Um, I had two little things. One, I think, and we kind of touched on this a little bit. I think the gore is used very effectively. <sighs> so good. Like, because it's not, I mean, yes, Pascal is very gross and that is a very jarring scene, but it's very, it's it's very restrained on Gore. And kind of casual. Yeah. Like, like, whenever you see Pascal, he's just, like, living his best undead life with his brains hanging out. Yeah. You know? like, like, and you and you almost become desensitized to it. Like, yeah. you're not noticing, oh, that's Uzi. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I like that. I like that it is. It's very understated and very 
it's minimalistic, but when it's done, it's done very well. Same thing with the big reveal of how Rachel looks at the end. Mm. You know? And you can't not say, oh, that's Uzi. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally It is actively oozing. Yeah. And then yeah. you're all like, yeah, let me lick that. Oh, wow. It's like, so oh good. Like, like, I feel like these effects still hold up. They, they are do. still yeah. good. They are very good. Very good practical effects. You know that we are big advocates of practical effects I have, on this podcast. Yeah, I have watched movies made in the last few years where I'm like, Pet Cemetery is clear. Like, Pet Cemetery is my sort of like, this is where I expect thing. We could do this in 1989. You can fucking do it now. See, where yours is Pet Cemetery, mine's the thing. Because it's like, this is 82, baby. 82. Yeah, no, I I won't fight you on that. Okay, cool, man. (laughs) Um, Um, My last, my second to last comment, my last comment is gross. My second to last Wait, is comment. that now your last comment? Or is it now your... I'm saying, in, in the order of my notes, as they're written, my last comment is gross. My second to last comment is, for fuck's sake, this guy's a slow learner. Yeah? We put the cat in the ground, he came back wrong. We put the kid in the ground, he came back wrong. Sure, let's bury the wife. Again, I think this is something that probably worked a little bit better in the book. I'm really excited to see what they do with the series. Yeah. Um, because it feels like, from what I've seen on Wait, the trailer... is it going to be a series? I, isn't it? I no. thought it was a new movie. It's a movie. Just kidding, movie. Um, <laughs> okay. Sorry, I think I got confused with The House on Haunted Hill. Which, okay. Haunting of Hill House. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody makes that mistake. <laughs> um... But uh, I, I, it looks like they're going to be playing with the mythology mm-hmm. a little bit more. And I'm really excited to see that. Because if there's yeah. anything that I want, like, I don't necessarily want to see the same story again. Mm-hmm. But I want to see more of that mythology. Yeah. I agree. I'm, I'm with you on that one. Um, I'll watch the same story again without, like, feeling bad about it at all. I just... Just a different take. Yeah. So, okay, so I have my thing, and I don't know if you guys notice this, because I just now noticed the, uh, this watch, is that Gage is wearing the same outfit as the painting of Zelda in the house. Yes. And Gage has red hair, like Zelda had red hair, when you see him come back. And I didn't realize this was a thing, but apparently this was a thing that, because it's supposed to be Gage as Zelda coming to get his revenge on Rachel for Rachel n- not saving them. Did y'all ever know that, hear that? Well, and Zelda says, Gage and I are coming for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely just, I just thought that was, you know. So I don't know if anyone ever, you guys noticed that? I, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm over here like, oh yeah, obviously. No, I didn't <laughs> notice it, but it's super cool and I can see all the other, the strings. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely did notice the painting because that's a fucking weird painting <laughs> yeah. and they kept focusing on it. And so when... I never noticed the painting. Yeah. <laughs> when, when Gage came out dressed the same, I was like, oh, hey, look, it's the painting. Yeah. But it's supposed to be pre-sick Zelda is that painting is of her. Oh. And that's why when you see Gage in that outfit at Judd's house, his hair is kind of... <gasps> that's rude. why she reacts so strongly when she sees him. Mm-hmm. Because, like, it's a strong reaction, as it should be when you see your dead child. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a there's a moment, like, okay, so here's some good acting on her part in this movie. There's a moment where she is just... Uh, like... When she sees Gage, when that reveal is made, it's that's she did she did good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know if you guys had noticed that or known about that. I guess mm-hmm. thing theory because I know it's not in the book about. No. I knew I noticed it early. I noticed the painting early on. I was like, that's a weird painting. Um, and I thought I thought it was 
a lady, like an older lady. And I was like, what is she wearing? And like, I don't understand this painting at all. And then I saw it in, in their family home again later, you know, uh, Rachel had kept it, I guess. And I was still just like, what, what is up with that? And then when he came out, I was like, he's wearing the stuff that was in the painting. I was and like, he's I, got the fucking top hat and the cane. But I, I did, did they say in the movie at any time that that was Zelda? Because I, I was just like, <laughs> okay. And then when you asked how far back does the plane? Well, we haven't asked that yet. Okay. But that's where I was. I was waiting to mention that until we talked about great that. So we will will talk about that when we talk about that. So thank you, husband, for pointing that interesting little thing out because Billy's the one that did. And I I never. I I noticed the painting being fucking weird and creepy, but I never like it. Just fucking never. I I thought, why is he wearing a top hat? Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, props to the husband. Something else that I didn't. It made no sense to me at the end when. Judd says, the soil of a man's heart is stonier. He grows what he can and tends it because what you buy is what you own and what you own comes home to you. And I was like, that that doesn't make any sense. Like, none of that goes together. (laughs) (laughs) I think they took some of King's, because King comes up with some really good lines. The soil of a man's heart is stonier. Sure. That's a good line. I'm going to argue the gendered aspect of it, but... It's a good line. And then I and then there's other places where they talk about, you know, what you own comes home. Right. And that makes sense in the context of it. Um but, uh, but okay, are you are you of it the book or it the pronoun? Yeah, I, I just realized that was unfortunate. <laughs> uh, that makes sense in the context that it's used. Yeah. Uh but then the movie kind of jams those two thoughts together and they don't make sense. They don't go together. together. And when it talks about because what you buy yeah, like, that should have connected those two things, and it did not at all. No. And so I was like, that sounded like just somebody rambling. the seeds that you planted in the stone soil? Know, yeah. What What is... Yeah. And, yeah. In the book, there's a whole thing about how Judd is basically like, I can't help you with this. Like, I can show you where it is, but I can't help you because the cat is yours, Lewis. Mm-hmm. You bury it in that soil and the cat is yours. Mm-hmm. It's not Ellie's anymore. Well, and it's that's, yours. I went back after I, I, was, I wrote this down because I thought it was weird. And then I was like, maybe he said, because what you bury is what you own. So I was like, rewind, rewind, rewind. And then when it said what you buy is what you own, I was like, no, it should have been what you bury really is what you own. It really doesn't make sense. I mean, if they wanted to make that make yeah. sense. So, yeah. Okay. okay. Your, I accept your rewrite. No. <laughs> <laughs> what else do we got? Mm. Oh, I just want to point out the reference to Frankenstein's monster when, what was the kid's name that got buried up there? Not Gage, the long time Timmy. Timmy. At one point, he says, no dad, hate living. Um, because that was what, you know, Frankenstein's monster was like, love, dead, hate, living in, mm-hmm. in Bride of Frankenstein, right? Mm-hmm. Was that when he was like, mm-hmm. yeah. So I just thought that was a clever callback to that. Um, I'm just going to point out another thing. I think this film does real well. This will be probably my last thing. It does two things that I love. Shows the normal, the normal life before everything just goes to hell. Like, I love when you just see what everybody is before mm-hmm. whatever uh-huh. happens. And I love that you get beat over the head just with the dangers of the truck and yeah. the road. And like you and anyone that is familiar with the story, they know it's coming. Like it's almost like a, a, a tick. And I like uh-huh. that this film does it. Like, and it's you know middle of conversation. Whoa! Having seen the trailers for the for the new version, the way they have that truck whoosh 
by in the trailer was just like, oh, now that's some good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I am, I am surprisingly excited for the new movie. I am not surprised about how, like, I love dead things. <laughs> I like this is this is this is my favorite kind of horror is dead things that don't do what dead things are supposed to do. Stay dead. Exactly. <laughs> um, lie there and be dead. Yes. Yeah, I, I like I love I love zombies. I love what I love even more than zombies is this kind of thing. I love an evil dead when you've got the people that go that are like, help me, Ash. Please, it's cold down here. And then as soon as you get close, they like switch back to the demon, to the demon zombie thing. I love this where it's like, this is the person I love, except not. Listen, dudes, I even like Pet Cemetery too. <laughs> like, I love Pet Cemetery too. I love that he has to just fucking eat breakfast with his dead fucking stepdad and pretend like everything is fine. <laughs> um, it's so great. Like, I just, I fucking love Love, love, love dead things. Mm-hmm. Back when Netflix was just DVDs, I spent a whole summer just watching every fucking zombie movie they had, even the ones where zombies were just people wearing blue paint that rubbed off on everyone they touched. <laughs> have we watched Sabrina? I know you have. No, no, I haven't yet. I haven't yet. I haven't yet. Oh, not yet. Not yet. Have you watched it, Sabrina? No, I have a, I have a four-year-old. Okay. There is a, there is a brought back from the dead bit that yes. I think you will probably... Oh, it's... It's rough, but I think you'll like it. All right. Do we have anything else about Pet Cemetery? I have one more thing. Okay. I miss the era of movies like this getting their own special theme songs. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, like I said, the the song is cheesy and hokey, but I fucking love Pet Cemetery by the Ramones. It's so great. It makes me so happy that it exists in the world. And I just wish that we did that more i love when that song comes up on my spotify playlist at yeah. work because it's just like i'm just blah 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 and then it'll be like yeah you do yeah. So great. it makes like yeah that that song just brings me joy all the time did you also like the space jam song uh yeah <laughs> you know i, just, I also like the crib jam so don't like look oh, at me for <laughs> when the crib jam comes on that's even better oh yes sorry like i just I really like theme songs in general, and I just, I miss the days when we'd be like, we just, we just went through an emotional, or like, can you imagine if you'd watched Hereditary, and then it had come up with some specially written song about Satanism? Fallout Boy Boy has a, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. So, come on, I just want to bring this trend back. The trend just killed me. <laughs> no, what's cool, though, with that song, and I promise this, I, I will stop with my Pet Cemetery trivia, uh, Mary Lambert actually knew the Ramones, and she knew King was a big Ramones fan because he quotes the lyrics and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And she asked him, like, hey, w- can we use your song, and would you be cool doing this? And they were like, fuck yeah. <gasps> that's all. I bet... I bet King fucking wet his pants. So <laughs> that's amazing. So anyway, that's some more little fun trivia. That's a, that's. A, I mean, I could honestly talk about this movie. I fucking love this. Movie. I'm surprised how far how long we have talked about this movie. Yeah. Okay. Should we? We're about to do yes, more. We should, we should move on. <laughs> we should move on because we got more to talk about. We do. We do. All right. So are we ready for our our in game stuff? Yes. All right, Adrian. You have our quote. I played with Judd and I played with mommy. And now I want to play with you. (laughs) Oh, Gage was Dorbs. All right. Donna. Oh, wait. I want to say 
what I said earlier too is like I still fucking wake up in the middle of the night with just that line hanging in my head every now and then. However, I want to say the movie did gauge way better than the book because in the book I was like, shut the fuck up and just be scary, Gage. <laughs> <laughs> He was just dorms. Like they, I think they just like other than the mean face, they just let him be. Just He's so cute. Throw eggs at the cat. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Donna, you have our poll, which we've kind of been dancing around roll. quite a bit. Oh, oh, we're gonna do our rules. I'm sorry. Do our rule, then. I'm sorry. That's okay. I'm Isn't sure. that the way we do it? We do our poll last? I think so. Okay. I, I don't remember um, how to things right now. Okay. How to things. <laughs> okay. Our, uh, our, the short version of the rule is build a fence. Right. The longer version of the rule being if you live on a busy road where deadly fast trucks are zooming by and you can't see them because of tree overgrowth and you've got small children who might run into the road without warning, build a fucking fence. Mm-hmm. I live on a neighborhood street and we're still careful about our kid in the road. Like, yeah. Speed limit there's 25 miles an hour. She gets within five feet of it. I'm like, back up, come back to the tree. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just, I, I cannot for the life of me imagine why they didn't put up a fence. Also, even, okay. even just a picket fence would have... Any sort of boundary would have stopped literally everything. Yeah. And that goes for animals as well. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you are responsible for an animal's death if, if it got out of your yard mm-hmm. and it didn't, you chose not to have a fence. You are responsible for that. I, agree I have 100%. feelings about that. So. Yeah. Unless you have a fence and the animal crawls under it. In which case, you should have had a better fence for that animal. (laughs) My Sammy, when he was not old, he's old now. My Sammy, when he was younger, was quite the escape artist. And uh, we we actually used to set up sting operations where we would <laughs> where we would put him in the backyard and we would have pe- people positioned around inside so we could view every bit of the fence. And when we saw him go to the fence and start to go under it, we'd be like, "Ha ha, we have you now!" Yeah. And uh, let me take that back. If, yeah, if you set up a good fence and that animal is Houdini, there's nothing you could have done. I had a dog named Simber. and she was Houdini. She once jumped a nine foot tall fence. Sweet. What? I I assume that there was something else involved besides jumping it. Oh, my dog climbed a fence. Yeah, once. she she climbed like we heard her hit the fence, like we heard the ching of the chain link, mm-hmm. and then when we went out there, she was no longer in it. Mm-hmm. So at some point, she made contact with the fence. But basically, what we just did with her was like, all right, you're an inside dog. You have three minutes to go outside and pee, and then you come the fuck back in. Yeah, mm-hmm. your outside time will be on leashes. Yep. All right. Now, <laughs> now I have the poll. Donna question has our well. poll question, and like I said, we've been dancing unintentionally, intentionally, kind of around it. Yeah. So, all right, Donna. Uh, the poll question is basically how far back does the plan go? And for clarification's sake, the plan is the plan of the pet cemetery, because Judd acts as if he is compelled to. Um, bring Lewis up there with church. So how far back did did Judge's dog Spot die on purpose? Did Church die on purpose? Did Gage die on purpose? And what was the end game? I have some answers, but I also read the book, so I was wondering if I should wait for other people to answer first. Can you ask all that again so uh, I can process it real quick? How far back does the plan go? Is the is the short version, uh-huh. and what is the end game of the plan? Uh-huh. 
And then you were talking about people dying on purpose? Yeah. Did did basically the power of the cemetery kill Church? Did the power of the cemetery kill Judd's dog Spot a hundred years ago? <laughs> did uh, um, did the power of the cemetery stare? Did the power of the cemetery kill Gage? Which is what Judd was talking about when he said, "This is my fault. This might be my fault." Because he introduced Lewis to the power of the cemetery. Okay. Okay. What do you think? So I've read the book. So I don't, but I don't remember what, you know, those answers are. I, my, my thought, and my thought has been this for a while, is that once you're in contact with the, the pet cemetery, you are tainted. This has touched you and... Freddy Krueger situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totes. That you are... This is... It, it's a stain on you. That this mm-hmm. is... It's almost like, I want to touch you. Now you've got it. I want to touch you. Now you've got it. And it's just... It carries. So I... And I sit over here safe. <laughs> you sit over there safe. <laughs> I touch you, Donna. Oh, no! <laughs> but, um, no, I think that... I think in the beginning there were very natural deaths because they mention it in in the movie that each year it gets stronger. So I think Judd taking spot, I think that was an accident. Now, I do think the Pet Cemetery maybe thought they had a vessel to continue that with Judd once Timmy didn't work. I think in game for the Pet Cemetery is a human being. Uh-huh. Like a human being back, not normal, but just back to just carnage. Uh-huh. And I think they see that with Rachel. Okay. That's my headcanon thought, whatever you want to call it. I just don't even know, so I'm going to say that. <laughs> I don't think I'd be able to answer this question without the book. Uh-huh. Um because I don't, I don't know that the movie gives you the information that you need to answer this. Right. Um, but having read the book, I think the plan goes back far. I think, I think Spot was part of the plan. Okay. Okay. Because in order for Judd to tell Lewis, Judd had to have experience with it. Um, Judd had to know that his dog came back relatively okay it had to feel comfortable innocuous okay um and in the book there's that whole moment when judd oh oh and there's the whole thing about how church uh didn't wander he was not a wandering cat and i don't know if they i can't remember if they did this in the movie now or not but in the book they even get church fixed yeah they get him fixed in the movie like yeah that's a whole rant i also wanted to have do you, want, do you want me to pause? So no, I want you to finish it. Okay. So, and, and they get church fixed to ensure that he will continue not wandering. Um, and uh, and it talks about how church was more docile after that. He, he's hanging out in the house more and not going very far. And then he just fucking randomly is across the road and hit by the truck. So, I think that something happened. What? There was a weird sound. Did Judd kill that cat? 
No. no. Did it even? No. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. No, I don't think Judd killed it, but I think I think the pet cemetery. I think something happened. I think that something reached out and drew Church into danger. Yeah, uh, probably the same way that it drew Gage into danger. Uh, because I think the moment that the Creeds moved into that house, they were fucked. They were damned. Basically. They, yeah, there was no way that they were getting out of that because what like that. The pet cemetery was going to kill them, like, like not kill them, but the pet cemetery was going to take them. I don't think they had a choice of like. like I think that maybe they had a choice about taking that house or not. Mm. But once they picked that house, I think all of the choices they had were gone. They were fucked from the moment that the keys were in their hands. If it hadn't been them, it would have been somebody else. That house didn't want a, a lone person. That house wanted a family with strong ties. That would do anything that they could, that it that they would, for each other. Which is also a reason that I think Ellie got shoved out so quickly because she's also not in the book very much either. Um, she well, one, she's fucking psychic. <laughs> like, yeah. She just she just is. She dreamed she dreamed Church was dead. Mm-hmm. Um, she dreamed that something bad happened mm-hmm. when Gage was being buried up there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, she also was the only other person that saw Pascal. Did she see him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because okay. Pascal she, came she said to, he came to her, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, right, 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 right. But right. she called him Pascal. Yeah. She didn't say his name right. Um, oh, wait, but Rachel saw him, too. Later. Later I think Rachel had a little... I don't think she saw him. I think... He talked I, to her. Yeah, he she did. Hear. She didn't see him. He, he he nudged her. I think I think she was hearing him as a voice in her head. Like I think she, I think she was hearing what he said as if it were her own thought. Okay, because they always showed him other than the end. He's kind of behind her, mm-hmm. except in the end, like when he's still yeah. on the truck. He's like, I can't go any further. And it's like when he spoke to the to the rental car agent and said, "What about that Aries K with the scratch on it?" And she kind of looked down and then looked up and said, "We do have this car that just came in." Mm. And so you know, it was pretty clear that she hadn't so much heard him as she had. Like, oh, yeah, we do have that other car. Yeah, he was definitely nudgy. Yeah. But then what is... Okay, then in your thought with Pascal, then was his death also caused by it, but in a polar opposite effect to counter what was coming? Um, Okay, so Pascal has always seemed weird to me in this... Like, in the movie and in the book. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing here? Um... He got hit by a car, so that's a parallel there. But other than that, I don't fucking understand his presence. <laughs> the The explanation they other give than being a pretty dead boy <laughs> is just that Lewis was there. That they were so close when Vic's soul passed. That was yeah, that's yeah. It. And so they 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 formed a connection in that moment. Yeah, but I don't really. Um, I don't know, and it's hard to tell if, if Pascal is helping or hindering them, because he's helping to get Rachel there. But is he helping to get Rachel there for Endgame? See, exactly. And in the book, I don't think he's helping her. In the book, I think she's going 100% based on Ellie yeah. freaking out. You know what? I, I'm going to say that he is... It's Stephen King really likes his uh, battles between good and evil so mm-hmm. i'm going to say that pascal is a force for good because and again pulling a lot of this from the book in the book 
when Rachel is trying to get home. She's trying to get home to Lewis because I think that actually the cemetery wanted Lewis. Um, she's trying to get there and she's so tired. Like she keeps falling asleep at the wheel and like swerving and realizing that she needs to stop. Like, like she's having such a difficult time until she hits the, the, the county line or something. And it's yeah. almost like as soon as she hits the county line, she's awake and she's ready to go and she can do this. And, um, and it's like, it's like something is trying to keep her away until she gets there, at which point it's like, well, you're here now, so just fucking, like, like in, let me rephrase that. Something is trying to keep her away. It's not when she hits the county line. It's when Gage gets up. Something is trying to keep her away until Gage wakes back up, comes out of the pet cemetery. And as soon as that happens, it's like whatever's trying to keep her away is like, okay, now you can come because now I'm ready. Awesome. And so I think that Pascal was trying to get her there in time because she, like, she was trying, there was so much tension about is she going to get there before Lewis finishes? Yeah. And when she can't, when that is no longer an option, that's when she stops having trouble. Hmm. So I'm going to say Pascal was a force for good. Okay. Okay. I'm on board with that. Um, and I think everybody was a lead up to this. I think that... You think that... So that very first time that someone is buried in the grounds, that that was in goal. Like, the moment that they find out the ground is sour. Yeah. It's... it's it's. I think that maybe the reason the bull came back bad is because of the um, potential... I can't think of the word. The potential for destruction yeah. that a bull has. Which um, is massive. Yeah. She just a huge amount of destruction. Like, I'm not saying dogs and cats can't be fucking terrifying because they can. Mm-hmm. But um, a bull will just, like, fucking gore yeah. everybody between here and Tucson if yeah. it wants to. Um, and so I think that maybe the, the, the whatever's in the cemetery was like, I can do what I need to with a bull. Maybe the cemetery brought the bull back bad and that didn't work. And yeah. it was like, okay, I got to get a person in here. Yeah. Like, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so Timmy happened. And Timmy wasn't Timmy was too far gone. Timmy was too far gone. Yeah. He was just too gone. He he'd been he he'd been he died in the war. Yeah. yeah. He died in the war and his body was shit back. Mm-hmm. Like that was that was some that was months bad. that he would have been yeah, so I think that there just wasn't enough of a whatever left in Timmy mm-hmm. to do what needed to be done. Mm-hmm. But in both Gage and Rachel, you've got freshly dead. Right. And in Pet Cemetery 2, you have incredibly freshly dead. Wow. Okay. I want to make a quick rant about cats. What would happen if you buried somebody alive in the Pet Cemetery? Oh my god. No. No, Adrian, no. You write that story. I, really yeah. wish, I wish we had a picture for the grin on Adrian's face. Um, okay, I want to make one quick comment about cats. Um, and this this doesn't show up so much in the movie, so this is more of a shame on you, Stevie. Um, after Church gets neutered, they talk about... Actually, the thing that drives me the most crazy is Lewis's insistence on calling church it mm. church is still a male cat church is still a he okay his testicles are not what gave him masculinity what i know right <gasps> um, 
So, a new that goes towards your theory of to- to- toxic masculinity. Bum, bum, bum. So, man, uh, I like this movie. <laughs> so, yeah, um, neutering a cat does not remove gender from them. Um, but the the other thing is, listen, neutering a dog or a cat does not change who they are. Um, it removes some of their urge to roam because they're no longer looking to get fucked all the time. Okay? A, an unneutered male dog or cat is roaming looking for ladies. Okay? And, the, and that's it. If they, if they no longer have the urge to go find the ladies, they no longer have the urge to leave the couch. Um, but that doesn't change who they are. Okay? I don't know where their soul lives. I don't know if they have souls, but I'm pretty sure it does not live in their gonads. For a cat, I bet it's the tail. I think you're probably right. Or the ears. Um, For tailless cats, it's the ears. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> For so, earless cats, it's the tail. <laughs> so yeah, basically, um, they don't suddenly become lazy, personalityless drones just because you've neutered them. Or their little poopy noses. <laughs> Sorry, Debbie and I are laughing, and you can edit this out if you want. So uh, this guy that came over to our house for book club was just the whole time he was there was like I don't know why anyone has a cat cats are so fucking boring da 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 just real anti-cat say something like no personality no personality and Billy and Luke are looking at me like they're like she is gonna lose it and we cannot wait like they are like just this like just giddy and about that time my cat Ash just tears ass through the whole thing like buzzes everybody's tower just like hey 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 is gone, and I'm just in there like, yeah, no personality, huh? Mm. So the book we're discussing. <laughs> <laughs> I want to tell you a story about my grandma and a cat. Mm-hmm. You were talking about uh, the getting spayed <clears throat> or neutered doesn't change who they are. Mm-hmm. I had a cat that we misgendered for a very long time. We thought this cat was a boy. It was not. She was not. She was a girl. And my grandmother defended that cat's gender. She was like, she is a girl cat and she deserves to be called such. She has the scars to prove it. (laughs) And I was just like, grandma. So I love my grandma. I had a colleague that used to claim that you weren't really a vet until you tried to spay a tomcat. And the, the reason the reason that this happens, and it happens, is that you know dogs. A dog's penis is right there on his belly. You cannot accidentally try to spay spay a boy dog, but a cat keeps its genitals way up under its tail. So the belly of a tom cat and the belly of a female cat don't look any different. Um, I incidentally have never tried to spay a tom cat. So, so you're not a real vet. I guess I'm not a real vet. <laughs> <sighs> well, great. Everything I know in this world is a lie, Donna. <laughs> Here I have been letting you have your medical corner all this time. <laughs> Great. Real quick, though. Is that song, The Cat Came Back the Very Next Day, about Pet Cemetery? <laughs> I believe it predates Pet Cemetery. It's an old folk song. And also, they used to have it on Nickelodeon all the time when I was a kid in little commercial breaks. They do these, like, musical interludes. Yeah, yeah. And I remember hearing, like, I loved that song. And at the same time, I was like, is anybody else bothered by the fact that this dude's trying to kill this cat every they, day? They thought he was a goner. But he, the cat came back. That's my new headcanon, is that song is actually, <laughs> it is about the Pet cemetery. That's actually the Pet cemetery's start of its game. It's like, Judd made that song. <laughs> so yeah, it, it predates what yeah. we know about Pet cemetery. Oh, I meant to say, there's a moment whenever Church is dead that Judd is, there's, there's like this long silence in the book 
where Judd seems to be uh, fighting with himself about something before he finally tells Lewis about... He doesn't even tell Lewis about the pet cemetery. He's just like, get your cat, come on. Mm-hmm. We're going to go bury your cat. And he doesn't really tell Lewis what's going on. Right, yeah. Um, That's until it's done. And so the impression and the thing that Judd sort of hints at but never comes out and says is I... It's sort of like, did he have a choice in saying that? Did I he, don't think he did. I don't think he did. Because either. he even said later, he's like, he's like, I don't know why. Oh, what did he say? Dang it. I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I told you about the pet cemetery. Yeah. You know? Well, so, and in the book, Judd has a wife. Okay. And she dies after church comes back. Mm. And so there's a whole thing where um, Lewis is like, are you going to? are you going to bury your wife? And Judd's like, yeah, I'm going to bury her in the cemetery with a headstone like you do. <laughs> and, uh, and so it's like the fact that Judd does not take this, this opportunity that Lewis later takes is a very telling moment. I think. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, Donna. Did we hear your answer on the poll question? Or did we go off on cat tangents? Because I think you started about your your cat, you know. About... Oh, yeah. I, we might not have answered it. Okay. Um, I actually think the plan goes. I think I think the end goal has been not necessarily not necessarily to get Rachel, but to get a human. I think that has mm-hmm. been the the cemetery's end goal. I think it influenced Judd. I think it influenced um, Lewis. And uh, I, I I do think I think it's been a long ongoing plan, and it was. I think ultimate, yeah, I think I think it is to get a human. I think destruction is the ultimate plan. Mm-hmm. I think if 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 you watch Pet Cemetery Two and you consider it to be part of the canon, I think that Pet Cemetery Two is when the cemetery gets as close to the realization of the plan as it had as as it could. I'm going to go ahead and state right now one of my New Year's resolutions is going to be to get this podcast back to an hour. <laughs> Because we're at 96 minutes. Holy shit. <laughs> I knew we would go long because I knew I knew how much Adrian loves this movie. And then adding in the book aspect, I knew we would be longer. Mm-hmm. Well, I, and we just edit it out and then have our pa- Patreon episode. Or, right? Like, a, you know what I mean? Like, cut half of it out and then be like, oh, here's part two. Be Patreon. <laughs> All right. All right. So do we have anything else? No, no, no. Are we good? I'll just shut my fucking mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tying Adrian up and sitting on her. <laughs> Adrian likes it. Well, Debbie. Uh, well, <laughs> I did not think this through. <laughs> Adrian's into it. Okay. Um, all right. Remind me to tell you about the game of uh, apples to apples that we played. All right. That you and I play? No. <laughs> uh, that's for a Patreon only. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you, everyone, so much for your... Cabin After Dark. I like it. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. That's okay. I just had to get that out. That's okay. That is all right. And I'm back. All right. Thank you, everyone, for uh, your love and support. Uh, We do appreciate it that you're you're listening to us. Out of all the podcasts, that you're taking your time with your ears and listening to us. We love it. Uh, we are on social media. We are on Twitter at Beyond Cabin, Instagram, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, and we do have a Facebook page, which is beyondthecabininthewoods.com. You've heard us talk about Patreon. 
which is Beyond Cabin. And then we have a website, which is beyondthecabinandthewoods.com. We have a couple of sister podcasts and a brother podcast. The sister podcasts are Collective Snark. The other one is the Once More With Feeling, the 20th anniversary uh, Buffy Fancast rewatch, which is now including Angel. And then the family business, which is about Supernatural and going back and checking out Dim Brothers. And finally, we are part of the Gumby Cat Network. I'm all for checking out Dim Brothers. <laughs> Dim Brothers, though. <laughs> all right. Um, seriously, give Gumby Cats. Check them out. They've got a lot of fantastic podcasts as well. Give them some of your love. It's great. Um, so thanks, everybody. <laughs> and don't bury things in the pet cemetery. <laughs> Sometimes dead is better. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> you know what horror is? Gumby Cat Productions. Podcasts for podcast people. Meow. Meow.